This is Knowing Truth with Pastor Scott, a podcast devoted to God's Word and how to apply its truths to everyday life. Let's get into this lesson and see what the Word of God has to say. You know, I say it every time we sing that song, but, O oh death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? You know, this world, death is the worst thing that can ever happen to somebody. Yeah, that's the end. And for somebody who goes into eternity with no hope, it is a very scary thing, a very depressing thing, a very looming thing. The older we get, if your hope isn't in Christ, there is an ever-looming darkness that gets closer and closer and closer in man and it's in our infinite wisdom, quote air quotes, if you if you can't see, we've we've come up with a lot of different answers for for life after death. There is there life after death. When when the Bible is very clear that there is life after death, and that that life is in Christ Jesus, and death doesn't have to be the worst part of our life for a Christian. It is the best thing that can ever happen to us because we shed, the Bible says, this mortal body and we're made immortal to ever be present with our Lord. To close our eyes here, the Scripture says, to breathe our last here is to breathe our first in the presence of our Lord. Death isn't the final destination of mankind. It is the entrance into eternity. What we speak about in services like this today is all the difference of your eternal life. Will you be forever in the presence of the Lord or will you forever be under the wrath of our Lord? That's the question. People who say there's no life after death, they're mistaken. People who say all roads lead to heaven, they are mistaken. There is but two ways a man travels and but two destinations a man goes in eternity. Through Christ, you go to heaven. Rejection of Christ, hell awaits. And as they say around here, that's Lanyap. It's got absolutely nothing to do with what we're doing today, but the gospel is the gospel nevertheless. Amen. Stand with me. Turn to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Continuing in the passion of our Christ. I want us to skip down. We're going to read verses 53 through 65 today. But I want us to read uh, 62 through 64 and we'll pray. Mark chapter 14 beginning in verse 62. It reads like this. And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Lord, 
as we look yet again into the final hours of your life, Lord, I ask that you open up the Scriptures to us. Lord, let us that are here today, us who are not here and will be listening later, Lord, help us to hear a better message than one that's been prepared today. Lord, speak through your vessel, Lord. Use these lips of clay that I may honor you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. Lord, as you stand before your accusers, let us understand that at no moment were you ever out of control. Both physically and spiritually, you were in control from before the foundations of the world were laid. Lord, we honor you and we praise you and we thank you for this. Amen. Thank you for standing. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to go to a few different places this morning. Looking at Jesus before His accusers. Now across the Gospels, we have a full picture. Mark in his condensed version gives us two, the two main trials of Jesus. The trial before His accusers, that is of His own countrymen, the Jews and the trial before Pilate ending in crucifixion. Across the, the four Gospels, what you find is it's not just two trials, but it's actually six trials in total. Three trials for the Jews, three trials for the Gentiles, all done in a matter of a few short hours, and time enough for both scourging, not once, but twice, floggings, beatings, spittings, plucking out of beards, and being on the cross at 9 a.m. To hang on the cross till 3 p.m. Where he utters this phrase, it is finished. And he gives up the ghost. And our Lord dies. For our sins. Not to get ahead of myself, but that is where we're headed. You say, I know that, Pastor, but I need us to understand that although we have been doing this since January of last year, we're about to slow down. When we get to chapter 15, we're not going to be taking chunks out of this. We're going to be taking Scriptures out of this and really stopping to understand what happened on the cross. Because if we can get a deeper understanding of what took place in the events leading up to and what actually happened on the cross, our love for our Christ our Lord, our Savior will be deepened immensely. Our witness will be strengthened and bolstered because what happened on the cross was freedom. An innocent man condemned for the sins of you and I. He bore the bondage that keeps us captive so that we could walk free. That isn't just for the church, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever should believe on Christ should be saved. Paraphrasing, obviously. I want us to understand and begin to understand that although all of us fall under this umbrella of salvation. We're here this morning. You've been saved. Hopefully everybody in this room is saved and you know that you're saved and there's fruit, meat of repentance and there's fruit of the Spirit and you're abounding in such. You say, oh, 
Whoa, believe me, I know. None of us deserve what we're talking about. But yet it's been granted unto us, but it's not just for us. Contrary to popular belief, we're not the only people that God is saving. There's a world out there who are still under this bondage, who are still under this condemnation, who need to be brought into the fold, who need to understand in fullness what Romans 8 is talking about. Now there is no condemnation. They need to be saved. All of us, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, we were all horrible, horrible people. Still today, take Christ out of our life. We're nothing but horribleness. But we've been saved. You were the world, but such were you. Now you're not. We need to not forget that. We're going to see that as we look at the thief on the cross across the Gospels. Mark only gives us a little, a little bit about the thieves on the cross. One on the left and one on the right of Christ. They were mocking him. Mark doesn't give us the full detail. We have to look through the whole of the Gospels to understand that both criminals were mocking our Christ. But there come a moment, for some reason, where one of them stopped and started to defend this man on the middle cross. Saying, we deserve this. Talking to the other criminal. Stop what you're doing. We deserve this. We're horrible people. This man has done nothing. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. And in the immense suffering of our Christ, even on the cross, He takes time to look over. And we're going to look at what the crucifixion actually is. It took so much strength for Him to pick Himself up so that He could take a breath and say, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The love of our Christ even in the worst possible point of His existence wrapped in flesh. He's here for this moment, for this purpose. And that's not merely to die, to make a spectacle of Himself, but it's to save those who are lost. Today we look at the hypocrisy of the Jewish people as they illegally detain, arrest, judicate, charge, and condemn an innocent man to death. At no point, at no point of any of this that we're going to talk about today was it legal through the law of Moses. It's not legal through the laws of today. A just man. Not just a man. A just man. And not just a just man, but the Son of Man, the Son of God. At no point in any of these six trials was the law of Moses kept, looked at, mentioned, until it got to the end where he's condemned a blasphemer and blasphemers deserve death. That's the only point of this where the law of Moses is kept. He's a blasphemer. Blasphemers need to be put to death. The ones who lead, who have led the people of God, are so far removed from God, so enraged at this man Jesus, that they totally disregard the written law. They condemn Christ in this kangaroo court of lawlessness. 
That's the only thing that this could be described as. This isn't justice. This isn't justice. Matter of fact, if you remember in the beginning of chapter 14, they've already judged him. They've already condemned him. They've already punished him. They already know what they're seeking. They're seeking the death penalty. They haven't even looked at this man yet. They haven't arrested him. They haven't come up with any accusations. They haven't found witnesses. They haven't went through courts. But yet he's already sentenced. That's what we're going into today. Israel at this time is much like us today. Uh, today, I looked this up because I didn't know. I'm a horrible American. Does anybody know how many federal laws we have right now? Yeah, check this out. We have more than 30,000 punishable offenses written in 51 volumes that is known as the United States Code. If you've ever seen a lawyer's office, right, either in, pers in person or any like CSI or anything like that, all those books behind that, that lawyer, that's not his personal library. Like that's not the books he reads for leisure. That's the laws of this nation. There's over 30,000 of them. There's no way that we would know every single one of them. We know how to be good citizens, but we don't know the law in its entirety. We have to have lawyers to teach us the law. Same thing that we have here today in, uh, in our text. The common Jew knew, knew more than we do of our own law. Uh, there were 613 of them. And believe me, they knew the 613. They followed it. But there were also these leaders who knew the law to the point to where they could bend the law in order to make the law work for them. See, that's the disconnect that we have for today is me as a citizen. I know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. But when I find myself in a pinch, how do I get myself out of it? Hence, we hire a lawyer to go to my defense, right, to help me get out of this mess. We have those who help those who are guilty and they make a defense. Sometimes they get out, sometimes they don't. We have those who are innocent who lawyers go for the defense. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, such as the law. But that's what we have today. They weren't ignorant to the law. We're not ignorant to the law, but I don't know every law, right? That's all I'm saying. They operate under a series of codes just like us. They have rulers, judges, teachers of the law. We have our common courts. We have supreme court, right? We have the courts that rule over our commonwealth. We have the courts that rule over our state. And then we have the courts that rule over the nation, right? This is the same thing that we have here. If I was from a little city of Capernaum, I would have a local synagogue and I would have a local court where anywhere from three, depending on the size, to 27 rulers would judicate over our commonwealth. So think of where we are here in DeVille. We have, uh, because I work for the water department, we got, they say roughly about 10,000 people, believe it or not, stretched out across all of here. And so we would have 27, right, or more. We probably would have different synagogues spread out. You'd have one in, say, Holloway, one in Buckeye, one in DeVille. And uh, we would have 27 rulers over us, always an odd number, so they, they can always have a 
ununanimous vote, that's important, we'll get to that, couldn't be unanimous, especially in uh, capital punishment. And they would judicate us, and we would come to an agreement, and if we didn't agree with that, then we would bring it to the state. And it would ultimately end up in the Supreme Courts where we are today. The Sanhedrin was 70, 70 elders plus one high priest, making it an odd number, 71, judicators who were all present during this, this trial. This is where we are. This isn't a local assembly. This isn't, this is big stuff. Like we would see this broadcast across all of our news networks. This would be a huge thing, right? This is the Supreme Court. They're judging on a very popular person. We would know all about this. We would also know that it didn't happen at night, right? Like if, think about it, what, what was going on today? We wouldn't be, the Supreme Court wouldn't be ruling on, on stuff at night. They have times of scheduled court. We do it in the daylight. We do it with witnesses. We do it publicly, right? Same thing just 2,000 years ago. So let's look at this, the illegal trial of Christ. Let's read. Starting in verse 53. He had just been captured in the garden. That's where we're leaving off. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now we'll, we're going to skip over Peter today because Peter's coming next week. These are one of those Marquine sandwiches and we're going to pick back up right where we left off. 55, now the chief priest and the whole council, all of them were there, kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, do you not answer? What is it? that these men are testifying against you. There should be a lot of red flags going off right there, even for our courts today. But he kept silent and did not answer against the high priest. Uh, again, the high priest questioned him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of glory. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. 
Imagine, if you will, this happening today. Somebody that you know whether you believe in as the Son of God or just a good teacher. Somebody who is righteous, has moral, is a good person, right? All these things that we say. And they go to trial, and their trial ends up being something like this. The, the outrage that we would have, right? There'd be cars flipped on their sides. There'd be cities a-burning. We've seen the news. We've seen things happen because of court adjudications. And this is what they were afraid of. They say, you know, if we, if we arrest him in public, going back to the beginning of chapter 14, if we arrest this Jesus in public, we're, we're in fear that a riot would, would happen, that the people would stand up and that they would, they would cause a ruckus and cause Rome to get involved. And that's not what we want. So they sought at that time to find someone to betray Christ. And that someone came from his inner circle, one of the twelve, Judas, paid 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, to betray Christ. And the time come... When it had to happen, go, do what you do, and do it quickly. He goes and finds these people. They end up at the Garden of Gethsemane, where they ask Jesus, are you the Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. I am. Yahweh. And they fall down. Judas included. And they all scramble up. And they still take him. It's craziness. What power this man has. This man Christ. Truly God. Truly man. But just the utterance of a word. Mere mortals fall. And it, you can almost see him as he crosses his arms and he says, take me. For this reason I've come. And they take him not to prison where he should go to be held overnight to begin the adjudications in the morning. He goes straight to the first of his trials. He goes to Annas. Not the high priest, but the high priest. Doing a little bit of history, Annas was the high priest. When you were made high priest, it's like being made judge of a Supreme Court. You hold that title till death. Rome didn't like that, and they removed Annas and a series of Annas's sons, all the way getting to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who is holding the office of high priest at this time. But all of Jerusalem, Caiaphas included, looked to Annas as high priest, because even though he wasn't in the office, he was high priest, because you hold that till death. They take him to Annas first, because Annas is actually ruling the temple. He's ruling of all these things that are happening. Matter of fact, the, the, the history says that when you went into the temple, it was known as the bazaars of Annas, which is craziness. You, you think of coming to church, you don't think of it as being a bazaar, but then we find Christ flipping tables because it had turned into something that it was not supposed to be, right? But those were known as the bazaars of Annas. So they take him to Annas, something you shouldn't do even today, and Annas can't do anything with him, slaps him in his face, and they end up at Caiaphas' house. That's where we are today. Scholars say 
that Jesus' trial broke no less than 18 Mosaic laws that were meant to protect the accused. Most of these are found in Deuteronomy. The law of Moses included many rules on law for guiding a fair trial. The Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, it was the highest court. It consisted of 70 priests plus one high priest who was in charge. It was held... It held court cases in the court of hewn stones. There was even a special place that the Sanhedrin was to, uh, to uh, meet at. They couldn't just meet at any place. This was near Herod's temple. The trial of, Je- of Jesus was a capital trial. It, they were already seeking to put Him to death, so this elevates it not just to a common trial, but now to a capital trial where Deuteronomy spells out even more stringent rules on how to handle these trials. There's more rules for capital trials in Jewish law, same as it is for us, right? Scholars say that 18, at least 18 of these were broke. Here are some of them, and we're just going to run through them. Thank God most of us have been in church long enough that we know, we know the story. We know what our Christ went through. We've, we've been through several Easter services where, where we've, we've went through all of this. Let me just read through these and just let it ring through your head. Think of even in our courts today, would this trial have been deemed just? Okay? So first thing, Now, these are all laws, again, uh, mosaic laws that were broken. The testimony of an accomplice was not allowed. The testimony of an accomplice was not allowed. Judas should never have been able to betray Christ because he come from the twelve. It could not have been somebody of Jesus' circle. Therefore, Judas could not accuse or witness against Christ. He couldn't be a part of the trial. But yet he's the one who leads them to Christ. The accused could not be questioned by a private individual. But yet Christ is taken to Annas first, then to Caiaphas. No legal proceeding could be taken place at night. What we're talking about here, the trial and all that Christ endured lasted between the hours of 12 a.m. and 9 a.m. This happens through the night. The Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish judges, could not bring charges. And witnesses had to do that. But yet it's the very Sanhedrin who are seeking to put him to death. They're bringing the charges. They brought charges. They sought for and even bought, bribed false witnesses to come into this trial. Capital offenses could not be tried on a preparation day for the Sabbath or a high holy day. This day, the 14th day of the month Nassim, is both a preparation day for the Sabbath and a holy day, the holiest of days. This is Passover. There had to be two or three agreeing witnesses And they had to cast the first stones at the criminal. We're seeking the death penalty. We're Jews. We don't hang people on crosses. We stone people. That that was 
the capital punishment. That is the determined, the determined law of Moses way of ending somebody was by stoning. And they had to cast the first stones. If witnesses were untruthful, they were to receive the same punishments themselves. So if I brought false witness against a murderer, the punishment for murder is death for eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, death for death. And it was deemed that I was a false witness. The murderer goes free. I now receive his punishment. Many false witnesses come up. They all should have been condemned. All 71 of these high-ranking officials should have, should have been hanging on the tree. Not our Christ. They all knew this. This was something of the law that everybody knew. Look with me at John chapter 8. We're just going to read. This is a familiar, familiar passage of Scripture. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning He came again into the temple. And all the people were coming to Him. And He sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees, these are the same people. Okay, Brought a woman called in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to Him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. So these are eyewitnesses. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. They've been wanting to do this all along. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote in the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up, and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and rode on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was in the center of the court, straightened up, or straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. This is after the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. This is some of the same individuals who would have heard Christ say, you have heard it said, but now I say. You have heard it said, but now I say. See, a witness was supposed to be innocent of the charge that they were bringing against the accused. So now they have this, these Pharisees and scribes coming and throwing this adulterous woman at Christ's feet saying, by law, she should be put to death. What should we do? And he almost echoes what he says in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, you should die. But now I say, if you've looked at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already and you should die. So now, lustful person, if you are without lust, go ahead and cast your stone. 
otherwise be here with her, you deserve death. They understood this. They knew this just from the law. And one by one, from the oldest to the least, they dropped their stones because they're not a credible witness. We've seen her do it. But I've done the same thing and nobody's seen me. This, these are the same people now condemning Christ, saying you're a liar. You're a blasphemer. That's what it, that you, you say that you're God. You're lying. And they want to cast their stone at Him when they're the ones that are lying. They stand condemned. The accused had to have a friend in court. He had to be defended. He couldn't defend himself. Jesus had no one. They left Him in the garden. We see Peter standing afar off. That's coming next week. How close are you to Christ, really? Are you a follower of Christ or are you a follower of Christ from afar? Just to get your motor running for next week. Jesus had no one. He stood alone and ultimately spake for Himself. Another thing not permitted by law. No one could speak to condemn themselves. The Fifth Amendment was, was a thing in the Jewish courts. Same thing as me. I cannot say something to convict myself. I must be Defended. He had no defender. The high priest is not allowed to grandstand. Caiaphas rents his clothes and accuses Christ of blasphemy. The accused must be given ample time to defend himself as any of any of the accusations. In other words, he shouldn't have went from trial to trial to trial to death. He should have been in prison and given an appeal, a time to weigh the evidence. None of this happened. The trial was held at Caiaphas' palace instead of the proper court. Illegal. The next morning, the part of Sanhedrin would even understand that what they'd done was illegal. They're not doing this in ignorance. They're not doing this being blindfolded. They hold a mock court right at daybreak with witnesses just so the people could say they did what they were supposed to do. He was already condemned. He was already on his way to Pilate. And the Sanhedrin goes, hold on, we have to save face. We have to look right. And they hold a court very shortly. Illegal. How do you hold a court of somebody who's already been judged? Any sort of bribery disqualifies a member of the court. Obviously. <laughs> The whole court bribed Judas, paid Judas. The whole court bribed the false witness, witnesses. Judges were not allowed to assault the accused. Think if that would happen today. You're watching Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, okay? And he says, you owe this person $10,000. And then Judge Joe Brown gets up from his desk, walks down, slaps a dude right across the face. Does that happen today? Absolutely not. That's not justice, right? But that's exactly what happened to our Lord. Imagine being slapped not once, but 71 times. At least. Then the Sanhedrin took 
Jesus to Pilate, hoping for a death sentence to be carried out according to Roman law, they changed the charges. This is, this is astronomical. This is craziness. He's blasphemous in the Jewish court, but blasphemy isn't good in a Roman court. So they changed the charges on our Lord saying, not only is he blasphemous, but he's telling people not to pay their taxes. He's telling people that he's a king. He's the Messiah. He's a king. He's treacherous. So it goes from blaspheming, saying I'm God, to I'm wanting to be treacherous. I'm wanting to exert my own kingdom. And this last one got me. If, with a capital crime, this is Mosaic Law, the decision was unanimous. In other words, every single one of them agreed, all 71, against the accused, the case would actually be thrown out. You would be acquitted of your crime because per Jewish law, if all 71 of the Sanhedrin said you deserve death, that was an unmerciful court, you were not properly defended, and everything was thrown out. At no point should Christ have been on the cross. Through any of the trials, through any of the accusations, Christ should have went free. Praise God for providence. But it's what He said in this trial that caused all of this to happen. He remained quiet when it was an unjust question. Like a lamb led before the shears. He remained quiet until the question was just. All the things, all the accusations, everything that the false witnesses were bringing up, you can see where he's, a false witness stands up and says he's going to tear down the temple and then he's going to build another one without hands. But they couldn't even be in line with that. So then Caiaphas says, are you going to do that? And he would remain quiet until Caiaphas gets frustrated and he, he asks him this question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Who are you? And he speaks up, ultimately condemning himself because he uses, if, if, if God ever had a favorite book, it's Daniel. Christ speaks more out of Daniel. His favorite phrase for himself is Son of Man, which is only found in Daniel. Like, he likes Daniel. The revelation of Daniel was being revealed to them that day. And for the answer for the question, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? In other words, even for the, for the Jewish council that day, are you God? He said, I am. Same thing he said in the Garden of Gethsemane that caused all of them to, to be knocked down by the breath of his voice. Are you God? Yahweh. Yahweh. They wouldn't even utter the, the name. It's the blessed one. It was a, a name in place of the most sacred name. You, well, we can't say that name. And the one thing that Christ says is Yahweh. 
But he doesn't just stop right there. That was enough. But he lets them know who's in charge. This is the important thing of today. God. You say that I'm God and I say that I am. But not only that, you're going to see me again. You're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. You're judging me today and you're judging me wrongly. You're judging me unjustly. But there's coming a day where you're going to see me again, Sanhedrin. You're going to be the one on trial. I'm going to be the one judging and you will be judged justly. Tearing of his clothes. Obviously. But this is what he says in Daniel. He says, he's quoting Daniel 7, 13 and and 14. I kept looking at the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's what Christ said to a court who wanted to put him to death. I think of another individual, not Jesus, Stephen, when he's given a chance to defend himself, saying a lot of the same thing. You're not the one in charge here. God is the one in charge. This is supposed to happen. Let me share the gospel to you because you're going to put me to death anyway. Christ knew he was going to the cross. Didn't matter what he said. They had already judged him. They were just looking for a reason. Time was wasting away. There's a deadline to meet. 9 a.m. is coming. I have to be on this cross. They couldn't find witnesses. Caiaphas is getting frustrated. So he finally asks the right question. Who are you? And Jesus says, now, now I can tell you. I'm God. I'm God. And you're going to see me again. Folks, if we don't see Him today, if we don't see Him now, if He's not revealed to us today, we're going to see Him again. That's the scary thing of this world. At no point, at no time, at no place, before no one was our Christ ever not in control. I'll say that again. At no point, and at no time, in no place, before no one was our Christ ever not in control of the situation. Everything happened as according to prophecy. Every single thing. This isn't just a kangaroo court of accusers. This is God's providence to save the many. He came for this moment. That's what He tells Pilate. Men are not in control were not in control. They were not in control of His arrest. They were not in control of His trial. They're not even in control of His death. No one killed Christ. He laid His life down for us. Jesus Christ, our Lord, gave His life for 
us a ransom for many. He laid it down within His own sovereign will. Nobody forced Him to do this. Jesus then asked under formal oath, He incriminates Himself, essentially saying this, you now stand in judgment of Me, but I'm the ultimate judge. There's going to come another time where we meet in a court again. Roles are going to be reversed. You're going to stand accused. But don't worry, Sanhedrin. You will be judged justly. Not like you're judging me today. You will be judged justly. In a real sense, as we stand this morning, Jesus seems to lose this trial. If you just read it without a spiritual awakening within you, he loses this trial. He, he speaks once and he's condemned. But he really won and he won it for us. His conduct at his trial shows his innocence and, and it's all part of the plan of redemption. In a real sense, it isn't Jesus who's on trial at all. To be more accurate, is to say that the religious leaders were the one that were, was on trial. They had a chance to be just, and they were unjust. They had a chance to do the law, and they chose to not. They seemed to win, but they really lost. They killed our Lord. This is the worst possible thing that humankind has ever, ever done. God walked with man, and we killed him. We all are on trial before Christ. That's what the Bible says. And we're, we'll be held to account for what we do, not what we do in this life, but what we do with Him in this life. We have to put our faith and trust in Christ. There has to be an awakening. There has to be a change that comes. we will be judged justly and we can be judged and chastened and purged in this life or we will be in the life to come these altars are open this morning Lord we thank you God for what you what you did for us Lord how you stood silent knowing not just your innocence, but your essence, oh God. Looking at mortal men, condemning you to die, and still giving truth, still sharing the gospel. Help us, oh God, to be like you. Seems an impossible task, but Lord, help us to die daily, to pick up our cross, Lord, and to follow after you, to be true disciples, to show this world that there is a better way. Lord, we thank You and honor You and praise You forever and ever. All glory to You this day. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us. 
please like and follow us for weekly episodes just like the one you heard tonight. You can find us on all podcast platforms or online at www.todascriptoraministries.com. See you next time and God bless.